Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspaw, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I want to welcome our online viewers as well. Uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus is a powerful depiction of God's redemption story. God redeemed the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. Last weekend, we talked about how he made a way for his people by parting the Red Sea. And what seemed like a hopeless situation, God intervened. Now, the Exodus serves as a paradigm of salvation. And that is why the New Testament writers present the work of Jesus in terms of the Exodus. And you can't miss the parallels. When you look at the Israelites, they were in bondage in Egypt. And in the same way, we were enslaved by sin. But Jesus sets us free. Jesus is the Passover lamb whose blood shed on the cross covers us and we escape God's judgment. Jesus brings us through the Red Sea. He embraced the waters of death and he reached the other side and now the Christian baptism is symbolic of it. It signifies the defeat and the crushing of our enemies, sin, Satan, and death. And when we go through the waters of baptism, we communicate that our old life is gone and we have received our new life in Christ and we cross over to the other side. So the perils are striking. God's people in the Old Testament were set free and we saw last week that Pharaoh and all of his strong military were comprehensively defeated. Egypt is no longer a threat for Israel. Now you would expect now that God would just transport the Israelites to the promised land. Why wait? Why linger? Why not fulfill the promise to Abraham and take the people to the land flowing with milk and honey? Well, not yet. Rather than leading them to the promised land, God leads them to the wilderness. They will have to walk now on difficult terrain. And there were no shortcuts available. For the way to the promised land was through the wilderness. And it is in the wilderness the Israelites will be tested. Their faith will be fortified and they will learn to depend on God. This challenging time will allow them to exercise their spiritual muscles and grow stronger and stronger. And as we compare the book of Exodus to the Christian life, we see yet another significant connection here. Just like Israel had to go through the wilderness before they reached the promised land, we also walk through the wilderness to reach our land of promise, heaven. From the time we place our faith in Jesus Christ until the time we meet him face to face, we are in the wilderness, so to speak. We are all on a pilgrimage. And God is doing the deep work of sanctification. And just like he was preparing the Israelites before taking them to the promised land, God is preparing us, shaping us, molding us, strengthening us for what is to come. And here in this wilderness of life, 
we will learn more about God, we will learn more about ourselves, and we will mature in our spiritual journey. And finally, when we reach that destination, heaven, our ultimate promised land, it will be even sweeter. Today, I want to focus on an aspect of God's character that offers us comfort and assurance as we are walking in this wilderness of life. God reveals himself to us as our healer. The text for today is from Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. If you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And that is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this promise that you are the Lord, our healer. I know there are many people here who need a touch of healing from you. Whatever areas of their life that they're wrestling with, they need your healing presence. So Lord, would you honor the preaching of your word and you will minister your presence here that we will have an encounter with you, Jesus, that we will know that you are our Jehovah Rapha, God, our healer. So commit our time to you Speak to us in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As we walk through the wilderness of life, through the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, there is an aspect of God's character that is so reassuring and comforting. God declares in his word that he is our healer. And why is this good news? This is good news because we all are broken people, every single one of us. There is nobody perfect, nobody who's got it all together. No one lives a pain-free life. We live in a world that has been ravaged by sin. We all face the consequences. We share in it. We're not exempt from it. 
broken bodies, broken hearts, damaged emotions, relational turmoil. We need to be healed from the wounds of the past, the trauma of the present, the uncertainties of the future. A need for healing is real and deep. God doesn't lead us in this wilderness of life to fend for ourselves. He doesn't say life is hard and you have to manage this on your own. No. Rather, God invites us to come to Him with all of our burdens, to deepen our walk with Him and experience His healing touch. When we look at Exodus chapter 15, the chapter opens with a praise and worship service. God had parted the Red Sea. The Egyptians who were pursuing the Israelites were annihilated. The Israelites were jubilant. They brought all their worship instruments and they were singing their praises to God. You know, it is easy to sing praises to God after you receive a miracle. It is easy to shout hallelujah when you're on a spiritual high. But God was going to test them to see how they're going to respond when they go through a trial. So from the mountaintop experiences of life, God's people are now made to walk through the valley. And that is the context for the text that we just read from Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse 22. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. After going through the Red Sea, the Israelites would have said to themselves, I don't want to see a drop of water again. That's enough. No more water. Thank you. And ironically, that becomes true. They have a water problem. This time the problem is not the excess of water, but it's the exact opposite. There is no water, not a drop of water in the desert. And they're walking in the wilderness, in this desert of Shur, a vast, rugged, sparsely populated region. And they traveled for three days. Can you imagine a large group of people with kids and animals and livestock walking in the hot sun in such rugged terrain? And they must have exhausted all of their water supplies. Now, three days later, they were facing a crisis. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive this grueling time in the desert? How long is this going to last? Verses 23 and 24 of our text says, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? You can see the people are desperate. Having traveled for three days without water, they're at a point of dehydration and they're saying, we're going to die if we don't find water pretty quickly. And finally, at last, they find some water. They see an oasis in the horizon. And the people are praising God. They're saying God has come through yet again. They're high-fiving each other. And here they hurry to the oasis and they bend down to drink that water. 
and they were in for a brutal shock. The water was so bitter, unfit for consumption. They drink the brackish water and they spit it out. And they called the place Mara, which literally means bitter. They thought they found water, and it turned out to be bitter. And they thought they, were, they found what they were looking for, but it turned out to be something else. And that is the root of disappointment. Unmet, unfulfilled expectations. An appointment that you were eagerly waiting for, with great expectations, something that you're pinning your hopes on, comes to nothing. That leads to disappointment. Your fiancé breaks the engagement. Your coach drops you from the team. The job offer that you were looking forward to falls through. You suffer a miscarriage. All kinds of disappointments. And these are part and parcel of life in the wilderness. Hopes get dashed. Dreams get shattered. You can't escape disappointments if you live long enough in a broken world. You expect one thing and life delivers you something else. What do you do? How do you cope with life's disappointments? The Israelites defaulted to grumbling. What they didn't realize here was this was a test from God. God allowed them to go through this, to examine their heart, to see how they will respond in the midst of a crisis. This was a test, and not to disqualify them, but to teach them dependence. God doesn't test us for his benefit. He tests us for our benefit. He doesn't test us because he doesn't know where we are. No, the reason he tests us is because he wants to show us where we are in our spiritual maturity. The Israelites started to whine and complain. They needed a water miracle just three days earlier. God came through for them. But now they didn't have faith that God could do yet another water miracle. And God was saying, if I came through for you before, can I not do it for you again? Will you trust me, my people? Verse 25 of our text says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water. And the water became fit to drink. So God does yet another water miracle. Three days earlier, he had parted the Red Sea. And now, he turns the bitter water into sweet water. He asked Moses to throw a piece of wood A literal translation of that word, wood, is a tree. He throws this into the water, and the water becomes like bottled water. Best tasting water, sweet water. And God was showing through that miracle that he is more powerful than any circumstances the Israelites will face in the wilderness. 
And through this incident, God taught them a critical lesson. This was the point of the test. This is what he wanted them to learn. The next verses, in the last part of verse 25 and 26, gives us the lesson. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So through this incident, through this testing, God reveals here one of his names. He's the Lord who heals. Jehovah Rapha. The very first time that's revealed in the Bible. Now, in the Bible, you'll see names were not just for identification purposes. It reveals something about the person. The name says something about the person's character. So as you read your Bible, you will come across various names of God, and these are nothing but the many facets of his character. God reveals himself here as a healer. The healing that God is talking about here is holistic. It is spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical. It includes all dimensions of life. It has the connotation of shalom, this deep wellness or peace, well-being or restoration. But because this teaching is connected to the incident that happened at the bitter waters, we need to look at it through the lens of what happened at Mara. As I said, Mara means bitter. And what was the problem at Mara? If you think about it, the problem at Mara was not bitter waters. That was not the problem. Because God clearly led them here, and he knew all along that the water was bitter. It didn't surprise him. For God to turn bitter waters into sweet water is no big deal. I mean, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, all kinds of miracles that God performed through the plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, in comparison to all of that, this is something relatively small. So if bitter waters was not the problem, what was the problem? The problem was the bitterness in the hearts of God's people. The bitter waters of Mara merely put the spotlight on the heart condition, the heart attitude of God's people. Because they were bitter on the inside, when they were being provoked, the bitterness just spilled out. And just like an academic test reveals your understanding of a subject, in the same way, this test at Mara showed where the people were spiritually. And we know this from the book of Exodus, that the Israelites had endured years of slavery in Egypt. They'd been treated so bad. They had their babies thrown in the Nile River right before their eyes. They faced all kinds of cruelty and harsh treatment. They were 
literally despised by the Egyptians. God's people had lost their dignity. And the Israelites know now that the oppression of Egypt is no longer there. But the bitterness of what happened years earlier had somehow seared the hearts of God's people. The memories were still fresh here. And they desperately needed spiritual healing from the pain of the past. Isn't that true of our lives? When we come to faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. We have a new life. We have the assurance of salvation. But if we're not careful, we can bring the baggage from the past into this new life. And you can allow bitterness to take root. And every now and then, it resurges and shows up in your life. Those deep hurts don't go away automatically. Sometimes we need to bring those hurts and pains, those deep-rooted resentments, those skeletons from the closet, and we need to lay them at the foot of the cross. Some of you have been wounded deeply. Abused, taken advantage of, spoken harshly to. And though these things happened years ago, the effects of those things still linger in your life. And we need to gather those hurts together and bring it to Jesus. We need to come to a place where we are totally vulnerable and honest before him. And when you bring your hurts to Jesus, the good news is you will find that he is Jehovah Rapha, God, our healer. And when his presence washes over you, when you are lavished in his love, when his grace covers you, you experience healing and freedom from those deepest wounds of the past. When Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. Sometimes that freedom comes instantly. And other times, you have to go through a process. You need to find the help of others around you to come alongside you. And that is why we offer a program here at the church called Freedom Session. Every year, more than 100 people go through this. And they find freedom and wholeness in Christ. You know, some of you here who have taken that, so you can testify to it. The most powerful thing is to hear these testimonies at the end of the freedom session. People admit their weakness. They admit their struggles. But they also talk about how they receive God's power and strength and how God has given them the victory. The bitterness has been removed from their life. I want to encourage you today you don't have to be imprisoned by the things of the past. God is able to bring healing in our emotional and our spiritual domains because he is Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. I 
I want us to look at verse 26 again. It says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. There's a clear reference here to physical healing as well. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Now, does that mean the Israelites will never get sick again? If God is Jehovah Rapha, does that mean he will heal all of our diseases today? And we have to wrestle with this text in order to understand what it's promising. And with the limited time I have, I'll try to do my best to resolve some of the dilemma. If you look at this verse carefully, you'll realize the promise here is not that the Israelites will never fall sick. That's not the promise. It says specifically, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. The diseases here are particularly referring to the plagues that God brought on Egypt. It was God, the plagues were God striking Egypt. It was his judgment against a, a rebellious people who refused to acknowledge God. And that caused not just physical agony, but a great deal of mental and spiritual agony. Now, the Egyptians paid a huge price for their disobedience, their hard-heartedness, their rebellion. So God is saying here in this text, if you obey me, if you walk with me, if you listen to my voice, I will not strike you like I struck the Egyptians. God will not subject his people to that kind of misery. They don't have to worry about plagues that come as a result of God's judgment. There are some consequences that come upon us when we walk in rebellion and we are defiant in our ways, when we are stubborn and we refuse to listen to God. And we are shielded from those consequences when we listen to God's voice, when we are walking with Him, and we do not go astray from the path He has for us. So the promise here is not that the Israelites will never fall sick, but that they will not be judged. They will not suffer from the plagues that the Egyptians brought upon themselves because of their rebellion. So that helps us to understand this text and remove some of the dilemma around it. Having clarified that, I want us to know, it doesn't change the fact that God is revealing something significant here in the text, that he is revealing his name, an aspect of his character, that God is our healer. He's the source of all healing. One of the mistakes we often make is we fall into this trap of a dichotomy. We think here is natural healing that comes from medical intervention and going to the doctors, and then here is supernatural healing on this side that comes directly from God. That is a false dichotomy. God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the source of 
all healing. Doctors can treat. God is the one who brings healing. All healing flows from him. You may take medicines. Healing comes from the Lord. So he may use natural means. He may use supernatural means. That is totally up to him. But all healing flows from him. So when we are sick, whatever domains of our life that may be, physical, emotional, relational, or spiritual, we turn to God for his healing touch. That is the right thing to do. When we encounter any form of crisis, any problem, any anxiety, anything that is too overwhelming for us, we turn to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Walking in this wilderness of life, Christians are not exempt from sicknesses and diseases. That which threaten our heart, our mind, our body. But we do have the assurance that the great physician walks with us. While God may not heal all of our diseases now in this life, we should not come to this quick conclusion that he doesn't heal at all. That position of unbelief goes in the face of how Jesus himself operated. Now, this time, I want to draw our attention to a workshop we are going to offer here at the church on the topic, Does God Heal Today? It's going to be on Thursday, February 16 at 6 p.m. here at our central campus. And there'll be some teaching, there'll be time for Q&A, and we will also have a time for healing prayer as well after this uh, event. So this is offered by our prayer ministry, so if this is an area you're interested in, I want to encourage you to take advantage of that by participating in it. At Jesus... As you look at his life, his ministry, clearly modeled God's heart for healing. Jesus' healing ministry was motivated by compassion. And when Jesus performed miracles, he wasn't just showing off. He did that because he genuinely cared for people. His heart's longing was to see people being made whole. And that is why Jesus constantly reached out to those who were rejected and marginalized by the society. He extended his love. He invited them into a relationship to offer them a sense of belonging. The lepers and the prostitutes, the tax collectors and the sinners, all those who were marginalized and rejected outrightly by the society, they were drawn to Jesus because Jesus healed their emotional wounds. And the same compassion of Jesus that we see being exercised in this area of healing people emotionally is also visible and evident in the way he heals the sick physically. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, talks about the healing ministry of Jesus. This is what it says. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
That's Matthew chapter 4, at the start of Jesus' ministry. And you will see that, that continues all the way till the completion of his ministry. Jesus demonstrated compassion and he healed the sick. That healing ministry of Jesus is not over now. It still carries on through the church. And why would Jesus not heal today? If compassion was the primary motivation for Jesus to heal the sick, has Jesus somehow run out of compassion today? No. The healing ministry of Jesus is very much in operation in the church. And we pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what prompts us to pray for healing. For healing is ultimately a foretaste of heaven. It is like the first fruits of what is going to come. It is the sign of the inbreaking of God's kingdom in our midst. It is a pointer to the day when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. And that is the day you and I are eagerly looking forward to. So when we see signs of healing in the now, remember that is a pointer to what is coming in greater measure in the future. Let me say this in closing as I wrap this up. When Moses threw that tree into the bitter waters and it turned sweet, God used that tree to change the quality of the water. The water was healed. Previously, it was unfit for consumption. It was brackish. But now it became sweet-tasting water. The bitterness was removed. Healing power of God flowed, not just in the water, but in the heart attitude of God's people. Now that is a pointer, that tree is a pointer to yet another tree that does something very similar. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And some translations of the Bible use the word cross there. He bore his sins and his body on the cross. But the word in the original language is not the cross. It's that word tree. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Of course, the tree is referring to the cross. That this tree, the cross, would become God's agent of healing. That as we come to the cross, Jesus reaches out to us. He takes our bitter hearts and he infuses us with life abundant and full and we are no longer the same. We are transformed as a result of that. By his wounds, we are healed. Sickness came into this world as a result of sin. If Adam and Eve had not committed the original sin, there would be no sickness in this world. It was not part of God's original plan. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins. And when he took care of our sin problem, he also took care of our sicknesses as well. By 
his wounds, we are healed. Peter is alluding to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are forgiven of our sins. We are made whole. We are healed when we receive God's shalom. The healing affects all of our domains. It is a holistic healing. And from the perspective of the New Testament writers, the cross is the basis for every blessing that we receive as followers of Christ. Every blessing flows from the cross. The cross has made provision for full and total healing for us in all domains of our life. And you need to know this, and this is the hard part, this is the mystery. God decides when he's going to dispense healing. In some cases, he dispenses it now, and in some cases, we will receive our healing when we meet Jesus face to face. Sickness has forever been conquered. So the question for Christians is not whether we will be healed, but the question is when we will be healed. If not now, it's when we meet him face to face. As God's children, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, adopted into God's own family, we have every right to pray for healing, whether it's emotional, relational, spiritual, or physical. We have the right to bring that before God. Whatever may be ailing us, we take it to the Lord in prayer. 